guys are listening to the VBAC Think Podcast. This is Megan and Julie, and we have our friend Kate with us today. We're so excited to have her on and sharing her story. And you guys just get ready because we are eating her accent up. It's beautiful. And her Instagram. And her Instagram. Yep. Her <laughs> accent is so beautiful. So you're just, oh, like, along with an amazing story, like, yeah. I'm just loving her accent <laughs> and her Instagram. It's keeping Kate. So K E E P I N G K A T E. You guys go follow her. She's awesome. Her page is amazing. It's inspiring. And I'm pretty sure that I'm going to have to go stock all these food um, options that she puts. She gets like healthy food and options during pregnancy and after and before and all of it. Like these recipes are amazing. I wish she could fly all the way from England, all the way over here to Salt Lake City, Utah, and make dinner for me every day. Well, I wish that was enough. I wish that was... Um, yeah, can we just oh, hire you? No, really? No. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, I'm ooing and aahing over all that. I'm like, okay, I should probably stop looking because I'm drooling because they're, they just look so amazing and I'm just not that great of a cook. So, um, uh, I don't cook. Like my husband makes dinner. I'm like, it's four o'clock and I'm like, what do you have planned for dinner? Uh, <laughs> like, I think I'm like, what about spaghetti? <laughs> well, go to keeping it, Kate. She's got all the recipes there for you. And she bakes, yeah. and her two daughters are so cute. So we're excited to jump into her story today um, and share that with you. And Julie is going to share a review of the week before we dive into her amazing story. Before I do the review, can I just say she made a pig out of a watermelon? Oh, that was a really good idea. Actually. I know. <laughs> you guys, I am just ill. I know it's just probably tastes like a regular watermelon, but it looks like it will taste a lot better because it's. <laughs> It definitely Cute. did, but anything to get my two-year-old to eat fruit. So. I was going to oh. say, that's something that is going to help our kids, right? Like our kids eat. So. Oh yeah, I think we actually named the watermelon oh, Percy. Percy? Yeah, and then she did, she did eat quite a lot of it, to be honest. <laughs> I, I think this it. is the first person we've had that hasn't been on our continent on the podcast. Oh, really? That's crazy. But, that's so that's cool. I'm quite nervous. Well, don't be nervous. We're just, we're all friends and we love you and we're excited to hear your story. But before I keep rambling on about watermelon pigs, I'm going to read a review and it's called The Absolute Best by Jamie Poor. And she said, after having a scheduled C-section in 2016 for my son being breech, I knew I wanted to have a V-back for my next birth. Fast forward to 2019 to my second pregnancy with our daughter, I found your podcast and obsessively listened to every episode to motivate and educate myself leading up to my due date. It even made me look forward to my long commutes to work. I hired a doula, drank the red raspberry leaf tea, ate the dates, did the spinning babies, and did all the things. And guess what? With the help and education and advice provided on this podcast, I got my feedback. I learned how to ask for what I wanted and to advocate for myself with my doctor. And when my body cooperated and went into labor, I felt so prepared. My daughter was born on January 25th, 2020. And I have to say her labor, delivery, and birth was the most healing and empowering experience of my life. Thank you, ladies, for providing this podcast for all women preparing for birth. Congratulations, Jamie, on your baby. That's exciting. We're so glad that we were whether we were a part of your birth story. We love hearing reviews like that. 
You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Do you want a VBAC but don't know where to start? It's easy to feel like we need to figure it all out on our own. That's what we used to do, and it was the loneliest, most ineffective thing we have ever done. That's why Megan and I created our signature course, How to VBAC, the ultimate preparation course for parents that you can find at the VBAClink.com. It is the most comprehensive VBAC preparation course in the world, perfectly packaged in an online self-paced video course. Together, Megan and I have helped over 800 parents get the birth that they wanted, and we are ready to help you too. Head on over to the VBAClink.com to find out more and sign up today. That's the VBAClink.com. See you there. Okay, Miss Kate, we can't wait to turn the time over to you. So let's do that. Um, so my, my story is quite similar. I just wanted to say thank you so much to both of you for, um, for this podcast, really. I, similar to Jamie, what you just said with the um, review of the week, every day I looked forward to coming home from work because I would put on another episode and learn more and more and like I said with the help of an education and learning to advocate for myself I managed a vaginal birth and it just I still feel like I'm on cloud nine I'm obviously only Mm. filming this a week after having um, my baby and (laughs) it still all seems pretty surreal like I feel I don't know we're just too excited and yeah to share the whole thing so First of all, I know obviously being in the UK, there will be a difference in the medical systems with you being in America. And here, if you are classed as a normal low-risk pregnancy, it's automatically assumed that you'll be under midwife-led care, which is amazing. And that's normally in a midwife-led unit, which is where they have like the birthing pools and all of the lights. Um, The rooms are beautiful. They're like hotel rooms. And that's all under the care of like of one midwife um, on the day of your birth. If anything starts to not necessarily go wrong, but presents risk in your pregnancy, that's when they normally bring in a consultant and you will be switched to consultant-led care with an OB and they will be kind of present in the room. And all of your midwife appointments then will still take place, but you'll also have um, a consultant there as well. So that's where there's a slight difference, I know, between America and the UK, where as much as possible, they will try and keep you with a midwife. But at the moment, there's just so much going on where the, even the smallest of risk is being classed as like a, a big risk and you'd be switched to consultant-led care when really it's not always necessary because the research says that the better outcomes are when you are with a midwife and not necessarily with a consultant. I wish we could do it like that here. I really yeah. do. It Midwifery is. has better outcomes everywhere. I just they do one have day. good outcomes. Well, and I I want to kind of point out to everybody too that a lot of people are really nervous to go to a midwife, like really nervous. 
or even against it because they maybe don't feel like that they're as trained or as capable of, you know, delivering, they're catching their baby. But they are, they totally are trained. The only thing that they can't do is like an assisted birth or a cesarean. And usually those two things are not desired anyway. And so, and they usually have OBs that they're um, working with hand in hand. And so, yeah, like if you're low risk, which VBAC, I want to just remind everybody, VBAC does not make you high risk just because you've had a previous cesarean. So I love that. I love that um, you guys just do that there. Yeah, when um, I spoke to like the head of midwifery at my hospital, and I was getting really upset on the on the lead up to um, to birth because I was saying I didn't want any consultants kind of in the room because they can be so negative and so kind of narrow minded. And the head of midwifery, she turned to me and said, she said the the issue is that doctors and OBs are only ever called in when something's going wrong, so they never actually see a normal birth. Whereas midwives every single day deal with normal birth and that a woman's body is just designed to give birth. Yes. It's so natural. Whereas an OB is only ever present in the room when something is going wrong. And therefore that's why they speak to us sometimes so negatively because they don't think that it's all that possible for a woman to give birth because that's all they ever see is something going wrong. So, um, yeah, it's just it interesting. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah it's, it's super interesting. I'm both perspective. Anyway, sorry, I, I'll stop rambling about the differences. No, um, I so, love it. Um, I fell pregnant with my daughter Evelyn in 2017 whilst on honeymoon in Orlando. We were really lucky and um, we conceived straight away. And I had a relatively healthy pregnancy up until about maybe 33, 34 weeks when my bump started measuring big and I was sent for growth scans. And during those growth scans, they thought the baby was potentially on the bigger side and they looked at my water levels and saw that I had excess water around the baby. So that was something that was then considered a risk. So I was then switched from midwife-led care to consultant-led care, which at the time I I wasn't bothered about because I thought that consultant was was better for for us at that time even though it didn't end up being but whatever so at 38 weeks my at my next scan my water levels had gone down they were only 0.2 over the mark that they should have been but the consultant that I saw still offered induction and said that he went through all the risks that excess fluid brings so to do with the cord prolapsing and things like that so he suggested that induction would be a good way forward so I we accepted that we were first-time parents we were excited to meet our baby and it had been a long time coming so even though it was only you know literally going to be another few weeks before labor would happen naturally we were just maybe too excited and too eager and we just wanted her her to be here safely so we accepted induction and um, I have maybe three sweeps I think it was on the lead up to induction all of which just showed that my cervix was completely closed and there wasn't really any change in my cervix over those three three sweeps. So I was induced at, I think it was 38 weeks and one day, um, that was using the pessary. And once that was removed after 24 hours, I had two rounds of gel. In between that... Okay, now I, wait, can I, can I interrupt for a minute? The pessary, is that like a Foley bulb? Full no, bulb? it's not. No. No, it, it's what is that? Oh, it like holds it in. So, Kate, so I have a pessary 
I don't know if anyone knows that. Probably not. But I have a pessary for a different reason, not to like oh, hold my cervix together. But I know I what it is. Client, I have a client from Russia, and she, they gave her a pessary at 18 weeks. What? Yes. And I thought that was so crazy. I was like, what? And then I think that they removed it. She had come here, and I want to say it was like 35 or 36 weeks they removed it. What was that for? She just said that she felt her cervix was too soft. Oh, okay. But it hadn't even opened. They must be able to maybe use different hormones inside the pessary then. I don't know. I just thought it was so interesting. That's crazy because obviously the differences in in induction as well and the different in hormones that they they use across the countries is strange as well. Right. Well, they they didn't. They used it to keep her baby in. in. Yeah. No, mine was definitely to get it out. Out. Yeah. So isn't that interesting? And then mine is to just make it so I don't pee while I run. (laughs) (laughs) We're just different types of pessaries, apparently. (laughs) Okay, keep going. Sorry. Um, Yeah, so so they put the pessary in for 24 hours, and that was to obviously ripen the cervix. And then after that had been removed after 24 hours, I then had two rounds of gel, which, again, was just to use to open the cervix. And in between that, we just tried to remain as active as possible. So outside our local hospital, there was a big forest and woodland area and we just used to pace up and down there just to try and get things active and as moving as possible during that time I kind of feel like things did start to move whenever I was relaxed enough and had enough oxytocin things would start to ramp up when I was weirdly in the forest like where I felt relaxed and and then as soon as we got back to the hospital and I was put on the monitors it would stop it was like textbook that it would be fine and then it would just stop as soon as I got to the hospital so it was only on the third day so it was like two really long days of kind of stop start labor it was only on the third day that things really started to kick in and I was examined and I was two centimeters and they agreed that I would be sent to delivery suite where they would break my waters the doctor that came in he just said that he wanted 20 minutes of continuous monitoring before I was then sent down to delivery which was fine and so I was just having like regular contractions they weren't they weren't particularly strong and I was just bouncing on the bum so the midwife came in she fit the 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 straps and left the room and straight away on the monitor it wasn't tracking it wasn't tracking the baby's heart rate and it wasn't tracking my contractions so I just presumed that it was because the straps weren't tight enough maybe on my tummy um, I asked my husband to go out straight away and ask if the midwife could come back in and reposition them. So he went out and he ended up going out four times over the next hour and a half. So they said that they would be back within 20 minutes. And it wasn't for lack of care. Like the care that we received whilst we were there in hospital was amazing. But our NHS is quite overrun at times and they just wasn't the staff to be coming in and out to check on me, even though... Sean was then going out and saying that he didn't think something was quite right because there'd been no heart rate and there'd been no contractions on the screen for over an hour. So by this point, I was starting to like panic a little bit. So after an hour and a half, a midwife came in and I could see the look on her face straight away that it kind of said that something wasn't quite right and that the heart rate was coming and going. So I was rushed to delivery straight away where a consultant came in and kind of explained that baby's heart rate was coming and going and they really needed to put a clip on top of the baby's head and break the waters so um 
they broke my waters and they put a clip on top of Evelyn's head. And at that point then she said, I'm going to give this 10 minutes and if not, we're going to have to go to section. So the 10 minutes kind of seemed like forever. Yeah. And the heart rate never kind of never came back. So um, the anaesthetist came in and I signed all the consent forms. Sean was, my husband was whisked off and he was downed and I got taken through to theatre. It was at that point then that I knew things were really serious because the crash team came running in and they didn't acknowledge me at all. And rem- I remember the anaesthetist saying that my husband was ready and they, were, they wanted to do an epidural or a spinal but the crash team, the surgeon who was obviously in control just said there was no time and that I was going to have to be put to sleep. So I was given general anaesthetic. Oh, and all God. I, all I remember hard. thinking was, I, well, the last thing that I said to the midwife who was beside me was, is my baby going to die? And she said, no, you're going to be okay, but you need to, you need to take deep breaths because you need to go to sleep now. Sorry, I'm getting emotional talking about it. Oh, it's, my gosh. Um, that's hard. It, it it was horrible. Um so I was put to sleep and um the next thing I know, thank the Lord, I woke up and my husband was there holding my baby. Um luckily everything was all right. She came out, she was her Apgar test was absolutely fine and she was beautifully healthy, which obviously we were really, really thankful for. But this is when it all kind of started with my physical and mental recovery really wasn't that straightforward. So I can't really remember anything about the first few hours, even the first, the first day really after having Evelyn, I've got no recollection of first. I can't remember Sean meeting her for the first time. It was both of our parents, first grandchild. I can't remember them just because I was so in and out of it because of the anesthetic. So that was it was really hard. And even when we got home from hospital, physically, I struggled with recovery. I couldn't sit up properly. Breastfeeding was really hard. And mentally, I struggled even more. I just felt, and this is awful, and I hate saying this out loud, but I felt like my body had completely failed me. And that by some, somehow I was less of a mother to Evelyn because I hadn't managed to birth her naturally and it sounds awful because I'd never think that of any other mum or lady who'd had a cesarean but for me I think because I'm so in every realm of my life I'm so like tough on myself academically physically I always want the best and I if something's worth doing I always say it's worth doing well so I always kind of put so much pressure on myself to do everything so perfectly and because this was taken completely out of my control I just felt like I was, I'd let myself down. I didn't, at baby groups, I never wanted anybody to bring up birth because I was embarrassed that I wasn't able to birth Evelyn vaginally. And I felt like people were judging me. And I, they weren't, they definitely, definitely weren't. And obviously I wasn't the only woman that had had a, had a cesarean, but I, just, I felt like I was the only woman struggling with coming to terms with the fact that I'd had a cesarean. So yeah, it was a pretty tough couple of years really of of getting over that so it wasn't um I straight away as soon as I had had Evelyn and I knew that there was a chance obviously knew that was I could have a v-back I started researching straight away into things that like would help me do that and yeah take me down the, the right path type thing so 
in the UK, doulas just aren't a big thing. It's really strange. Like, um, lo- loads of my friends even now haven't heard of doulas or only have heard of doulas because I've kind of introduced them to to the term. So you only really know about a doula or have heard about doulas if you've had a pre- previous traumatic birth, which I think is quite sad. But anyway, when I was at a local baby group, the lady who was running it, my ears pricked up when she's mentioned that she was a doula. And as I got to know her more, I confided in her and told her like my story. And she gave me such hope and such strength that when the time was right and when we conceived again, that my body was able and capable of a natural birth. And we kind of stuck up like a really, really nice friendship. So we began trying to conceive when Evelyn was 15 months old. And luckily we conceived straight away. My doula was one of the first persons that I called because I so badly wanted her like at my birth that I needed to make sure that she was available. So we we rang her straight away and she was kind of over, over the moon to be with us on this journey. So um, obviously because I was then classed, even I was classed as high risk because of my scar, even though obviously we know it's only like a 0.5% chance of rupture, in the UK that's still classed as high risk so I was put on consultant-led care and my first consultant appointment the consultant that I saw was she kind of came across that she was really VBAC supportive but actually I think she's probably more tolerant it soon became apparent that she wanted to put terms and conditions on my labour and she was saying things like this that I'd have to go to hospital as soon as contractions started and that I needed a cannula as soon as I went into hospital, just in case I was to have another repeat cesarean, that I needed continuous fetal monitoring all the time. And there just seemed to be a lot of things that I needed to do. She just wasn't too keen on it just happening naturally. So it was at that point that I switched my midwife provider. So what you can do is for continuity of care, you can ask to see the same midwife every single time. So your community midwife who you have all your appointments with, it should be the same person, but in my area, it seems to jump from person to person. And I just didn't want the mental toll of having to explain my story to a different person every single time. So I switched to a midwife that I knew through a family friend and who I knew was really supportive of my situation. And she has been my absolute rock kind of throughout the whole of my pregnancy. She's been amazing. So I switched to her and she again, just gave me the strength, the support and the hope that I needed that everything would be all right. From literally straight away then, I did everything possible to prepare my body for labour. So I stayed fit and active and I ate healthily. I was still with lifting weights. I did a two to three mile walk a day, dates, raspberry leaf tea. I visited the chiropractor every week. I had Reiki sessions, reflexology, like you name it we did it like we didn't want to leave a stone unturned and we did just did everything that we possibly could to kind of prepare my body naturally for labor so it was around again around 33 34 weeks that things just started to take a turn for the worse so not only was the whole covid pandemic just coming onto the scene but i was sent for growth scans again for measuring big and that's when they the scans showed that I had high water levels again. So at that appointment, I remember breaking down to the doctor because I just said I felt like everything was, it was like deja vu because 
everything had happened with Evelyn with growth scans and excess fluid was now happening with this baby and I was so petrified of having to have another cesarean so when this whole thing that I came home really upset I remember from that appointment thinking that you know it was all kind of going to go down a cesarean route again and then I felt like the rug had been pulled from underneath my feet because the whole the whole covid the whole coronavirus the country started to lock down then so things like the reiki the chiropractor the reflexology the gym they all shut so I had no ways to that the coping mechanisms that I was using to relax and stay calm were, were gone and I really really started to freak at that point there was no face-to-face contact no water births doulas weren't allowed at your birth my mum wasn't allowed at my birth it was just one one birthing partner if you're in active labor and I just really really started to panic and doubt that this was ever going to be possible so I'd gone from being so positive about birth and that my body was made to do this to feeling just that I had nothing left in me and I was so upset about the whole thing just thinking that it was all going to end in another cesarean so around 37 weeks I think it was another doctor rang and said that he thought it would be a good idea to induce labor. Now, it was at that point, again, that I was in contact with my doula and she gave me the strength to decline that and say that I wanted to leave it. My water levels were only ever slightly raised and I did quite a lot of research on different journal websites and I knew enough to know that they weren't so much over that they were causing like a huge risk to me or to the baby so I declined induction and again every single week the doctor would ring and try and get me to go in to be induced but I was quite happy just taking weekly scans and appointments just on the monitor to check that baby's heart rate was all right so that was around 37 38 even 39 weeks and I started to become maybe a little bit more positive that things were going in the right direction Around 40 weeks, I was becoming a little bit disheartened, thinking, oh, you know, when's this going to happen? All of my family were kind of, all of them had delivered early. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, am I going to be the only one that delivers late? And so I was a bit frustrated, but I just had to trust and hope and pray that everything would be all right. So my due date, my due date came, there was a big heat wave in the UK. I had no energy and gradually doubt and fear started to set in that my body wasn't going to be capable of labor and I did start to just doubt myself really that things weren't going to go to plan so finally I agreed to an induction for 12 days past my due date so it's like 40 plus 12 and and I think I just started to give up and I was resigned to the fact that I probably was going to be induced and I tried my best to research some positive induction stories and just get myself mentally prepared for the fact that I was going to be induced for labor. Anyway, after 40 weeks, then I had regular, not regular contractions, but every night I would have some sort of like Braxton Hicks and they would come and go. And and that was that. And so on the, I was 10 days over it was the 1st of June. And again, I had just had, 
Braxton Hicks and they were just coming and going and I presumed that that's all they were and that they would um, have fizzled out by the time I went to bed. So it got to it about eight o'clock and I had a contraction that stopped me in my tracks. I had been in the kitchen and my husband turned to me and said, have you got something to tell me? And I said, no, 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 it was just, you know, a, a bit of a stronger Braxton Hick. And um, I carried on as normal. So we were watching TV. I was bouncing on my ball and um, just trying to relax. And by 10 o'clock, when we normally head up to bed, they were more consistent and they were definitely getting stronger. So that's when I decided to start timing them. At that point, they were about three to four minutes apart, but they were only maybe lasting 20 seconds or so. They weren't lasting particularly long. So we still said, no, we're going to go up to bed. We're going to try and get some energy. If this is the real thing, then, you know, we need to be uh, well rested so that we've got enough energy for tomorrow. Which when, is one of the smartest things, just to tell you, good job for doing that. Because it's hard to not get it really excited and, and like want to get things going. Yeah. And that was the thing like that. I think for the nights prior to that, I had got excited and we had sat up and then when they had fizzled out, we felt so deflated. So that night we did try and go to sleep. We were headed upstairs and it kind of, when I led down, although the contractions spaced out, they intensified. And I don't know if that's anything to do with gravity or, or just not being able to focus as well. But I just couldn't cope with them led down as well as I could when I was sat up. So after about an hour, I found it easy to be sat up on the end of the bed, just again, relaxing. We put on some calming music, we put on the essential oils. And we just were breathing through the contractions nicely by this point. They started to become stronger. And again, I still didn't think at this point that it was the real thing. So I thought, right, if I have a bath, I had heard that sometimes that can um, knock out your contractions. So I got in the bath, we lit the candles, and I was just breathing through them. Everything was so peaceful and so calm and so relaxing at this point. And so this was about maybe one o'clock in the morning. And... We stayed in there for about an hour and then I got out of the bath and I said to Sean, oh, I'm a little bit bored. Like I wanted to watch something. I just, I didn't want to just carry on breathing through my contraction. I wanted to watch something and be physically doing something. So and the, <laughs> we put Netflix on and the first film that came up was Norbit. So we sat and watched Norbit for like an hour until things then started to intensify just that little bit more. Sean then noticed that my breathing wasn't, I wasn't in control of my breathing as much from the contractions as what he would have liked. So he said, right, I'm going to go and set up downstairs. I'm going to go and put the relaxing music on, the lights on, the oil burner, and you can go downstairs and we can relax together down there. So that's what we did. We headed downstairs and just tried our best just to relax and breathe through every contraction again they weren't they weren't too intense at this point they were still coming every three to four minutes and they were still lasting 20-25 seconds so I still thought that active labour was a while off at this point and Sean thought it was nowhere near so it got to around four o'clock and that's when I started having to vocalise through my contractions and I thought oh my goodness this is like I'm going to be here for a long long time I asked Sean then to ring Angela our doula to come over just to check on things, think to check that I was relaxed enough, that I was breathing, that my position, my posture was all all right. So she came around half four and she just sat with me. She was so comforting. Just her presence there made me relax because I knew that if she was there, that I was well advocated for. Um, and even though I knew she wasn't going to be allowed into the hospital, 
just having her with me at home made me relax even more. So we laboured there for the next maybe hour or so until things again started to pick up. And at that point then, my youngest daughter, Evelyn, she was, she was waking up and Sean was upstairs and I started to panic a little bit because I really wanted him with me. So I asked him if he could ring my mum to come and get or come and be with Evelyn so that as soon as Evelyn woke up properly, Evelyn could go to my mum's house. So Sean at this point, he will say, he rang my mum and said, I'm not really sure why she's asking, asking me to ring you because I don't really think she's in established labour, but um, she wants you to come round. And my mum said, oh, am I all right just to get a shower first? So Sean came in and said, is, is your mum all right to get a shower? And at that point I yelled like, no, she needs to come now. And I don't know, it must have just been instinct that I knew that I needed to get to the hospital soon and that things were definitely progressing. So we, my mum came round, it was about, this is about half six in the morning. And she said she pulled up outside and through her car and even through all the windows being closed, she could hear me vocalising through the contractions. And it wasn't, it wasn't a scream. It was more of a moo like an animalistic mooing sound that I was making but she said she she thought straight away that I needed to go to hospital so when she came in she did say you know do you want to go to hospital and I think my doula kicked her like kicked her because she really really wanted to stay at home for as long as possible and she knew that I was coping fine at home and didn't want the transition to hospital to slow anything down but at that point I knew it was right to go to hospital because I just had the feeling that, I, that if I'd have left it any later, I physically wouldn't have been able to make like the half an hour transfer to hospital comfortably. So um, we packed up the car. We got in the back of the car. My doula came with us in the car and we got, we arrived at hospital half an hour later. Sean parked in just like the lay by. And so Angela, my doula, she said, right, I'll come in with you just to get you settled. And then obviously we'll have to do a switch because of the whole COVID thing. They were only allowed one birthing partner in the room so we made our way through to hospital into one of the delivery suites and I was begging the midwife the midwife came in I said I really really want a water birth and she said right well let's examine you let's get you checked and then we'll see if we can set up the other room where the pool is so she checked me and I was eight centimeters at that point so I was like oh my goodness I was just so thankful that all of that kind of work and those contractions were real because I was still doubting that it wasn't real and my main worry is that I was going to get to hospital and they were going to say you know you're one centimeter or you're two centimeters and and I just think oh this isn't possible but yeah so she, I was eight centimeters and I was finally filled with a little bit of hope that maybe my body could do this completely naturally and that I was going to be okay and the baby was going to be okay so I got on the gas and air at that point and that was such a relief. I remember feeling like that it was just the best thing ever. And as it worked out, by some sort of miracle, I'm not even really sure if I should say this, but Sean managed to sneak in and another midwife let him in. And it ended up being that both Angela, my doula, and Sean were in the room right up until just before the baby was born when Angela had to leave. That is awesome. Up, know, Your husband's so sneaky. Give him a high five. <laughs> it was literally crazy. And, the, and the, the midwife kept on coming in and being like, to, and saying to Angela, you know, you are going to have to leave. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I'll leave. Just, just let her have this contraction and then I'll go. And everything was, I'll just do this and then I'll go. I'm just going to get my coat and then I'll go. And she managed to stall it for a good hour 
that she was um she managed to be in the room supporting us which was amazing and um, so yeah hats off to both of them for managing to pull that off so I had them both the midwives that I had were literally amazing they were so hands-off they just let me do exactly what I wanted they never pressurized me to get on the bed no consultants ever came in everything was really quiet the the lights were down it was just so peaceful and so relaxing just a dream really I still I still can't believe it happened the way it did so um, I labored stood up so I was I was on one side of the bed and Sean was on the other and when I get a contraction I would pull one way and he would pull the other and that is just again just how I felt comfortable and what worked for me so that's how I labored all the way all the way until birth really so I arrived at hospital I think it was about half seven quarter to eight and then by it was about half past eight they said I was fully dilated so it had gone it was really quick that I had progressed from eight centimeters to ten centimeters and stupid I don't know why I thought that at ten centimeters I'd be ready to push but baby obviously still had to descend during that time but it, it was still relatively short it was another hour and the midwife then said you know you're, you're ready to push if you want to push you know follow your body and go with it see how you feel so at that point then my contractions changed and I, I knew then that I was going through transition because I was saying I can't do this anymore and I was crying out for pain relief at this point and the midwife just said look you're way too far gone this baby's coming now if you in the next few pushes your baby will be here if if you really follow your body and, and do what it's telling you to do and it was at that point then that I got this sudden surge of energy thinking right I can actually do this and my baby's going to be here soon and um, I think the midwife had said the head had just started the head was crowning and I got a really strong contraction and with absolutely everything that I had I've never pushed so hard in my life and she came out in one push which was literally uh, completely crazy I was crying Sean was crying and mm. um, it was just the most surreal experience of my life because I didn't have I obviously always thought that the head would come out first and there'd be a bit of relax and then the body would come out but because I was filled like pumped with so much energy and this contraction was just so strong she came out so quickly a bit like a rocket and she was here it was just the most overwhelming and empowering experience of my life so afterwards we sat there we were just on cloud nine that this had all this had all happened I did have a third degree tear because she came out so quickly mm -hmm. and I ended up in theatre because and um, they had to I had to have an epidural so that they could make sure that everything was kind of seen to properly but it was just the most amazing and magical experience of my life and I'm a week on now and I still can't believe that it that it happened and that it happened so perfectly and so beautifully and I would do anything even now I'm thinking oh I'd do anything to go back a week and and do it all again because it's just so worth it for that moment you get to meet your baby and I thought finally my body I, I just genuinely trusted my body and and we did it we made it it was just just I, I am speechless it was it was just crazy I remember after my VBAC like coming home and and everything and like just like going over the whole thing you know and you're like whoa like 
I keep saying this and I keep picturing it, but did it really happen? Like, I remember feeling the same thing. Like, this was just so crazy. Like, it actually happened. What I wanted happened. I believed in my body and it happened. And it's just such a weird feeling. I remember, and I I think I felt it for weeks. I can't see this feeling going for a while. Like, I keep on every night, I get out my phone when I'm on the night feed and I think, I look at all the pictures and, and the videos and I just think, wow, like, that really happened. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Some of these babies too, they just, when they're ready, they are ready. And then of course you had all that strength and oomph behind it. And so just like that, she came out. Yeah. She was nine pound seven as well. So she was, oh, she wasn't tiny. Yeah. She wasn't a tiny baby. So maybe that added to why she had so much oomph coming out. Well, I think it's so funny that she said that you said that she flew out or she came out like a rocket. It's exactly how I described my fourth birth. Like she was at the top of my birth canal. I wasn't even pushing yet. And then my water broke and two and a half minutes later, she was born. She went like all the way through the birth canal. I'm I'm confident. Like I never got cervical checks, but I'm confident she went from minus three or minus two station to out in two and a half minutes. And like, she flew out of my vagina like a rocket ship. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly how I felt. It was just, it was the most surreal experience to have gone from, I wasn't really actively pushing beforehand. I was just kind of bearing down. I knew that there was a change in my contractions, but I didn't necessarily feel the need to push. And all of a sudden, within minutes, (laughs) she was there. Oh, well, we're So so happy for you. So, so happy. And we're grateful that you were able to share your story with us and, I really did. I ate up your accent the whole time. and I know, it's so I just, cute. <laughs> I kind of like, we talked about it earlier. Like, I just wish in a lot of ways. I mean, here in the U.S., like, we're good. Like, we've got some good medical, like, but we've got some ways to go, right? And I just wish care sometimes was a little different. Like, there's, it's hard because here, if you, if you get the wrong consultant, you're kind of stuck with them and you, mm-hmm. you can ask to be moved consultants, but... But really, yeah. because, because unless you move to private care, because, I mean, we're really lucky that we have the NHS, but because all the consultants are kind of together and in the same practice, mm-hmm. you, you get a slight vari- a variation of opinion, but they tend to say the same things. So at least where you are, I know you can get, you can kind of get away from a consultant or you can find an OB that is more supportive than, yeah. than the rest. I think there's, there's, pros and cons of both yeah it's very true it's like that here too what's the cesarean rate in the united kingdom i don't know you know i it is increasing i know that one in three inductions end in cesarean and i know that it is becoming more and more common for cesareans just to be to be offered so i'm not i'm not 100 sure what the cesarean rate is although i did see something recently about a, a county local to me that said in the month of April, I think it was 49% of births were <gasps> cesarean. Because of I COVID. Well, I don't know. If we, I don't They're know pushing them. Maybe it was because of COVID. It, it, it happened during COVID, but mm. I remember feeling shocked. And it was on a forum that I was on. It was a local county, and they'd released their stats. And it was like 49%. I was thinking, oh, my goodness, wow. that, is, that is ridiculously high. Well, I have some data here. I just looked it up on my phone, if you're not surprised. So it looks like 
It is jumping quite a bit, actually. In 2000, the cesarean section rate in the UK was 19.7%, which is actually not too bad. It's a little high, but... But then in 2015, it jumped up to 26.2%. That's like a 7% increase in just yeah. five years. That's, That's crazy. Pretty crazy. Yeah, that is yeah. a lot. Hmm. One in four babies is now delivered by cesarean section in the United Kingdom. Yeah, and I know obviously that's that's even more even more so when induction is then brought into the process as well. Yeah, induction definitely increases your chances of of cesarean just simply for the fact that your body might not be ready. Yeah, and that's why I kind of tried to avoid it all the way through. The doctors were pushing it. Mm-hmm. I just thought, no, it's not even. Surely you're putting my body under more pressure and under more strain when it obviously isn't ready yet. Yeah, I think it's really fun. I think, I don't know, like what topics should we pick to discuss? I think maybe we should just talk about international, the differences between births internationally because our course, like our VBAC link course for parents, we have a doula, a VBAC link trained doula in England. Uh, Yeah, well, if she's not in our directory yet, then I've definitely shipped out one or two courses to England so if she's not there now she should be soon but uh, yeah really really cool but the thing is in our our course is written obviously from the perspective of us in the United States Mm -hmm. but the trends that we see uh, with the cesarean section rates in the United States kind of happen all over the world like on the same timeline and People are facing the same challenges. Some countries, like Brazil, I think, has a cesarean rate of like 90% or 95% because women don't want to wreck their vaginas by having birth. It's the cultural thing over there. It's just what it is, right? And so it's really hard to have a vaginal birth at all, let alone a VBAC. Or in like Brazil, like um, having a C-section, like it's about... Like it's oh, like class. a money. Like it's it's like a money. Poor yeah, like if you have a, you have a vaginal yeah. birth, you're poor. Like see, because you can't afford really. a C-section. You can't afford a C-section. Like C-sections are done based off of like how much, how, what you can afford. That's crazy. No, that's I, really a good point. I forgot about that, Megan. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know that like people are. Um, they like to know like when the date that their baby is going to be born. Things like that. So that's yep. that can mm-hmm. so they're going to have a a planned cesarean or not. I don't know if that's necessarily the case here, but I've heard about that on different programs. Um, oh, yeah. Lots which again just, seems, again just seems crazy because I always think that there's this notation that a cesarean is maybe the easy way out or that you don't actually have to go through childbirth. But my recovery was horrendous from my cesarean section. And actually, even like a couple of days after giving birth to Annie... I felt so much better than even weeks and weeks after having a C-section. Mm-hmm. We have some VBAC doulas and parents that have taken our course in the Middle East, like Saudi Arabia and Kuwait. And man, if if you just imagine what the culture is like over there, yeah. generally for women, mm-hmm. and then you add VBAC on top of it, like home birth is illegal in a lot of those countries. Mm -hmm. And so women are having to, women are being forced into situations where they have to pretend that they had a home birth on accident. (sighs) 
Yeah. It's rough. And it's rough. doulas are only allowed to support virtually. Doulas are not allowed in hospital. And so educating, like, our courses apply all over the world. We have people message us all the time, and they're like, hey, I live in Australia. We have an Australian doula. Do, uh, and I noticed that, you know, you're in the United States. Will your course still apply to me? And we always answer yes, because even though some of our data is specific to the United States, the trends, mm. the general trends that you'll see with that data are, are happening all over the world. And so we have shipped courses to, oh my gosh, I can't even, let's see. I would say at least 12 countries now, mm -hmm. by now. Yeah, they're all over. Uh, yeah, and parents and doulas. We have an, we shipped one to Ireland um, oh, recently, wow. which is really cool to see that come through. She's not on our directory yet, though. I'll have to give her a little nudge and be like, hey, mm -hmm. <laughs> come, come be on our directory. Come join oh. us. <laughs> it's really exciting to see everybody all over the world educating themselves and becoming better, no matter what their country's cesarean rate is, I just think that there's no, there's never a time where more information will do you harm. No, and, and that's, I mean, even like throughout my second pregnancy, it was education that really was the key to, to me feeling able to advocate for myself and decline induction. And obviously I felt supported by my husband and through my community midwife and my doula. But without that, I honestly don't think you know, I would have been able to, to kind of stand up for myself without the research and the education that you provide on your podcast and that journal websites and other places provide as well. So, well, thank you so much for that. That's, that's our goal. That's what we wanted to do. And I feel really lucky. And I know Megan does too, that we're in a position where we are doing something that we love, but not only do we love it, but it's actually helping people. And sometimes like, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it's not as fun and sometimes it's a little harder, but then we'll get this just glowing review or a loving message, thanking us so much for, for our work. And then all of that, like the burden of it, the things that are harder are all worth it. Just yeah. from the words, just yeah. from the words that we get from people. And so, oh, yes, I, I don't want to sound like we don't like it because we do. We love it. We love every second. <laughs> we love getting to meet people like you from all over the world, from, from England. Oh, my gosh. Like, I, I'm a world traveler. Like, I wish I was a world traveler. I love traveling. I used to travel a ton before I got married, and then I had kids, and now I'm, like, traveling <laughs> to my in-law's house 40 minutes away. is about as far as I go anymore, but... I I want to come see you. I'm going to put it on Please my bucket do. list. I'm going to come and see you one day. Or you can come and see us. Either yeah, way. I'll make, I'll make you baked oats. Yes. And can you make me a watermelon pig? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Your one can be called Penelope instead of Percy. Yes. Perfect. Penelope. <laughs> I love it. So, and at the end, we, I don't know if you remember, but we asked some questions on the form. Um, one of them was, what is your secret lesson or something no one really talks about that you wish you would have known ahead of time when preparing for your birth. What would, yeah. What would be your secret lesson? Um, my mind's gone blank. I can remind you what you said. Yeah, too. Can, can you remind yes. me? I'm sorry. You talked about always, always trusting your body yeah. um, and your baby that your yeah. baby knows. Yeah. hundred percent. So I think towards the end of my pregnancy, even past, my due day, I was 10 days late and it was at that point that I really thought that things 
maybe weren't going to go naturally for me. But all the affirmations and um, the mantras that I kept on saying to myself was just that I trust my body, I trust my baby. And just as my body knows how to grow my baby, my body knows how to birth my baby too. And yeah. I just think that ultimately is, is, is key that, you know, in the right time, your body will be able to do what it's, what it's meant to do, what it's built to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Jinx. Love it, love it. Um, and then what is your best tip for someone preparing for a VBAC is what you... Research and education and just to know your stuff. So especially in terms of if you're coming up against consultants or a high-risk pregnancy, if you do your research and you know your stats, listen to all the podcasts just try and learn as much as possible about any situation you're never going to you know education is just such a fantastic thing and it will always always be useful and beneficial rather than you know right. the opposite so I always say knowledge is power yeah 100%. knowledge is power and the more you know the more you can advocate for yourself and your baby yeah 100% yeah, absolutely and you know I think adding it a step further, taking it a step further is the more knowledge and information you have means that you're a lot less likely to get blindsided at your birth. And that even if it ends in an outcome that you didn't want, then you can feel confident that you had the knowledge to make the decisions that well, allowed you to a lot of the question. Your, yeah. To allow you to be in control of your birth. Because sometimes the, the thing that makes birth traumatic or hard is feeling like it was out of control or that you yeah. didn't have a say in what was happening to you. No, but with definitely. that knowledge, even if, like I said, even if things don't go the way you wanted, you can still be confident that you made knowledge, knowledge, oh my gosh, knowledgeable and educated decisions. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> because I know with my first birth and I hear so many parents say it, like, if only I would have known, I wish I would have known this. I wish I would have known that. And you know, and I used to beat myself up over that all the time. I'm like, gosh, I, w I went in there feeling like I was so smart. And then I just didn't know there were so many things that I didn't know. And you can't beat yourself up for not knowing because I think most first-time parents just are uninformed to a degree. But continuing to grow and learn throughout your motherhood journey, like it's just all one big growing and learning experience, will we'll just continue to help you so seek out knowledge and listen to your mama heart and and you'll know what to do oh well thank you so much for sharing seriously we love your story we love you we love your page seriously again everybody just pause right now and <laughs> go to her insta her instagram it's keeping kate go check it out because and we're going to link to that in the show notes. Yes, we'll link to it in the show notes. Oh, is that your baby? Yeah, she's just feeding at the moment. My husband's literally oh. just walked her in. And um, so she's currently, she's currently feeding, bless her. She obviously couldn't wait any longer. Oh, oh my, goodness. my goodness. I love those little babies. Yep. <laughs> she wanted to come and say hi. Oh, and thank you for helping her out. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you. And thank you. Um, what's your baby's name? Annie. Oh, uh, and what's your other daughter's name? Annie and what? Evelyn. Evelyn. Oh, yeah. I love it. I think that's cute. That's a cute um, duo of names. Combo. Yeah, <laughs> cute you. combo. 
seriously, thank you so much again. And we can't wait to spread this story with everybody out there. I know. Thank you very much for having me. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.